The reading today is from James chapter 2, verse 14 to 26. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good, even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Well, during lockdown, um, you, like me, may have spent some time uh, surfing the internet and looking at things that are, well, not exactly an efficient use of your time. And I came across a website called totallyabsurd.com while I was doing this. Uh, and this is a website that's dedicated to documenting the most ridiculous inventions that have ever been granted a patent. Uh, and I thought I'd just show you a couple of those. Um, here's one of my personal favourites. It's, and you may not be able to see that on the screen, but it's a, a lawnmower tricycle. Uh, so you've got a toddler, there's a lot of toddler energy going around. How to put it to good use? Well, strap them to this thing and get your lawn mowed at the same time. I've got no idea why that isn't actually available at Bunnings, but that's occupational health and safety. Uh, these are, well, there's no other way to call it. They're, they're mud flaps for shoes. Uh, so I don't know if you, like me, hate those little flecks of mud that get brought up on the back of your pants when uh, you're walking around after it's rained. Well, here's the answer. I actually think that's quite clever, and if it didn't look so ridiculous, people might be wearing them. The Japanese have actually turned this sort of thing into a kind of art form. It's called chindugu, and it's the art of what they call the unuseless invention. So the challenge is to invent something that actually has a use. It solves a problem, but it's just too impractical to ever actually be used. Uh, so here's a couple of examples for you. Uh, one is the noodle cooler. And so you can save yourself the hassle of having to blow on your own hot noodles um, and let the little fan do it for you. Uh, and the other one there, if you can't guess what that is, it's called the hay fever hat. Uh, very convenient when spring comes around. Uh, this would be particularly useful during a drought. This is the uh, personal rain saver. Uh, and so as it rains, uh, don't waste that precious water. Uh, channel it into your own personal water tank. Now, all of these things kind of solve a problem, uh, but as you look at them more closely, you see that they're, in fact, quite useless, aren't they? No one would actually ever implement them. 
Well, in the passage that we're looking at this morning, James wants to talk to us about something that he says is useless. And he says that it's faith. Faith without works, says James, is like a bad invention. It's really good for nothing. Now, James starts the section that we're looking at today with a question about faith. It's there in verse 14 of chapter 2. He says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? James asks if it's any good, if it's of any use, to have faith but have no deeds. And you might say, well, that might depend on what that faith is useful for. And so James clarifies that with a follow-up question. He says, can such faith save them? So James wants us to consider if a faith without any deeds is any good when it comes to salvation. Is that kind of faith able to save? Now James is asking the question and he's supplying the answer for us as well. And he wants to start by showing us that not all faiths were created equal. James wants us to appreciate the difference between these two kinds of faith that he's talking about. One, he says, is living and useful. The other is dead and useless. And so to help us understand this, he introduces us to the friend that we could all do without. It's there in verse 15. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So here's your classic all talk and no action kind of person. Uh, You might call them the anti-Good Samaritan or perhaps the armchair Good Samaritan, sending their caring thoughts from the comfort of their lounge room. It's an almost comical image, isn't it? How a person can, in all seriousness, express their, their deep and sincere concern for someone, keep warm and well-fed, as they turn away and walk away. This concern is little more than hollow sentiment, isn't it? And so the point James is trying to make, I think, is pretty obvious, isn't it? The words are not enough. Wishing people well is not the same thing as actually meeting their needs. Saying you would love to help or being completely unwilling to do anything to help, well, it just makes what you say empty. A bad joke. It's just words. And James wants to draw an equivalence between that and a kind of expression of faith. James says that if you're a follower of Jesus, saying you're a follower of him is not the same thing as actually following him. Uttering the words, Jesus is Lord, is not the same thing as living with him as the Lord of your life. James summarises his point for us there in verse 17 where he says, in the same way, Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. For me, this brings to mind something that Jesus said, and perhaps James had in mind these words when he wrote this part. 
In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus one time said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The words on their own don't make for real faith. And God, of course, knows the difference between a profession of faith and real trust in him. And ultimately, only God can know our hearts. But there is also a sense in which it can and will be seen by others too, shown through the way that we live. If our faith is not the real deal, that is going to turn up in our lives. And so that's the first thing James wants to say to us, that the person who claims to have faith but has no deeds has a useless faith, a dead faith. But let's say, for example, you genuinely do believe in God. Surely that's got to count for something. Well, not necessarily, says James. Go down to verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. James wants to make the point that real faith is not the same thing as belief. And he uses a rather surprising group here to make his point. He talks about the demons. He says even a demon believes that there's one God. In fact, a demon might be able to get a fair way through reciting the Apostles' Creed that we were learning about last term before they ran into problems. They believe that there is one God. But of course it doesn't need to be said that demons are not on the best terms with God. And that's because believing some true things about God is not the same thing as trusting in God. You could even say that the demons have a kind of faith. I think that's what James is saying here. They know there's one true God, but of course they don't trust in him. I know plenty of people that will say they believe in the Bible, they believe in God. Some will even go so far as to say they believe in Jesus. But you may not know it by how they live. Having faith in God is not something you can just tick off as a yes or no answer in your head. You have to express that trust and dependence in God through how you live, through the choices that you make. And so believing that there is one God Whoop-de-doo, says James. That is not saving faith. So having shown us a couple of ways in which uh, this faith is uh, not the real deal, James wants to talk to us a little bit about what true saving faith looks like. And he uses a couple of characters from the Old Testament to do that. He talks to us about Abraham and Rahab. Uh, we pick up Abraham's story there from verse 20. And his life is held up to us as an example of what faith that's real looks like. Now, the story of Abraham is pretty familiar. I won't go over it all again with you now. Uh, but he was a man whose life was very much shaped by his faith in God. He left his homeland, his people, his family, uh, because he trusted in the promises that God gave him. And even when God asked him to do that most confronting thing, scandalous thing of sacrificing his own son Isaac 
Even then, Abraham trusted that God knew what he was doing and that God would keep his word. The example of Rahab is much the same. Her trust in God led her to help two foreigners, two Israeli spies, escape from her hometown. She quite literally bet her life on God being trustworthy. These are people whose faith was demonstrated through the choices that they made. And in verse 22, we find a curious expression. James there says that Abraham's faith was made complete by what he did. But if Abraham's faith is made complete, that kind of implies, doesn't it, that his faith on its own wasn't really enough, that he needed to add some works onto it for it to be sort of finished off. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever been abseiling. I've only ever done it a few times, partly because, well, to be honest, I'm not that comfortable around cliffs. But there comes a moment when you're abseiling, when you have to lean back over the edge, when you have to commit that point of no return, where your weight is now supported by the rope alone. And you know that if the rope goes, then you go. Now, before I went abseiling for the first time, of course, the instructor explained uh, all, of the, uh, all of the equipment that we'd be using, the, the strength of the rope, how it had all been tested and rated, and it was all perfectly safe. Uh, and I believed him. Um, in fact, I would have been willing to sign something to say that I believed that the rope and all the equipment would hold my weight. But the fact is, until I acted, until I passed that point of no return, until I placed my weight on the rope, any of my professions of trust in that rope would have only been that. If I'd been unwilling to back up what I said I believed, there would have been no evidence to show that I trusted in the rope, only my words. And so I think it's fair to say that my faith in the rope was made complete by what I did. A profession of belief is really nothing more than words until it is acted on. And that's what James is driving at here. For Abraham and Rahab, their faith was not a thought experiment. It resulted in real, costly and difficult decisions. Our faith can never simply be a profession of certain truths or doctrines Although it is that too, those things are important. But James's point is that it also must be lived. And if our lives contradict our profession of faith, then the question needs to be asked. What does that say about the faith you claim to have? In fact, James wants to go so far as to say in verse 24 that Abraham was justified because of his works and not by his faith alone. Now, that particular verse has caused a fair bit of dispute and argument amongst Christians over the years. It's made a lot of people wonder whether or not James here is contradicting the Apostle Paul, who so strongly emphasises salvation through faith alone and not through works. And so you'll find a verse like this in Ephesians, where Paul writes, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. 
So is Paul teaching salvation by faith and James teaching something a little different? Well, I think if we understand the point that James wants to make, then there really is no controversy. James is not teaching that we're saved through the things that we do. He's, in fact, answering his own question that we found right back there in verse 14, where he says, is this type of faith, the type that has no deeds, able to save? And his answer to that question is no, because he's saying that that kind of faith is really no faith at all. It's a dead faith. James's point in his passage is to show us the difference between what a living faith and a dead faith actually looks like. And so he shows us what saving faith looks like. And for him, that means it is never alone. It's surrounded by action. It's surrounded by works. There is always evidence to support a true and living faith, says James. In fact, James, I think, gives that away a little bit in his question in verse 14, where he actually asks, can such faith save him? James knows that salvation comes through faith. He just wants to make it clear what kind of faith we're talking about. So James is convinced that if you have faith, then you're going to have works. I think Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, he put it well when he said, we believe that no one will be saved by their works, but equally do we believe that no one will be saved without them either. No one will be saved by their works, but no one will be saved without them. So how would you describe your faith? Living? Dead? I heard a joke from Mike Whiteman, who brought us our kids' talk earlier during the week, and he said, the church isn't full of hypocrites. There's always room for one more. I'm sure we can all think of people who would claim to have faith but are being exposed in a very public way because of, well, usually because of a moral failure of some kind. In recent days, I guess we've seen people like Jared Hayne or perhaps uh, you might think of someone like a prominent Christian preacher like Ravi Zacharias. Uh, And if you do know who he is and you hadn't heard, I'm sorry to have to be the one to tell you, but it's not good. And we might even take some comfort from those sorts of stories, assuring ourselves that, well, at least I've never done anything like that. But most of what James actually has to say in his letter is not about some big sin in your life. He doesn't want to let us off that easily. In fact, even in this passage, the person who comes in for the biggest criticism from James is that well-wisher from verse 16. It's a person who's not actually doing anything actively harmful. They're just not doing anything. I wonder if you can remember a time when you closed your heart, closed your hands to someone in need. Maybe it wasn't a situation where someone was without clothes or daily food, as James describes, but you know there was an opportunity for you to meet another person's need. You had the means. You chose not to. I can remember plenty of times like that. See, what does James mean when he's talking about works and deeds? 
Is he talking about keeping up a good attendance record at church? Is he suggesting that I should volunteer to feed the homeless so that I've got something I can point to and say, see, I have deeds too? Now, that's a good thing to do, but again, we don't want to reduce this down to a a bunch of boxes to tick off. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, how are you following him? I think as much as any book in the Bible, James confronts us with our own hypocrisies. It doesn't allow us to say, well, Jesus has done it all on the cross, so how I live doesn't matter. It's a book that makes us feel uncomfortable because it refuses to allow us to tolerate lip service to God. It's no coincidence that the passage we're looking at today appears where it does in James's letter because it's in fact surrounded by a whole bunch of examples of what faith and works working together actually looks like. And James wants to talk about everyday things, about the way we use our tongues and our words. You might remember from a couple of weeks ago that those who consider themselves religious yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. Their religion is worthless. In the next verse, he reminds us about our responsibility to look after those who are vulnerable. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Last week, we were challenged to think about how we treat other people, whether or not we deal with people fairly and evenly, or whether or not we're people who show favouritism to the, the beautiful the wealthy, the respectable people. In this letter, he's going to go on to talk about issues of character like arrogance and anger and greed. The the works, the deeds that James puts before us can be as practical as giving time and money to meet someone's physical needs, but it might be something far more subtle like biting your tongue instead of using it to say something hurtful. It's full of practical and very personal challenges. And so when James talks about deeds, he's talking about all of your life and the place that God has in it. There's a big difference between a living faith and a dead one. Only one kind of faith will save us. Remember, no one hearing this today is going to be saved by their works, but no one's going to be saved without them either. 